a journal of the plague year, being observations or memorials of the most remarkable occurrences, as well public as private, which happened in London during the last great visitation in 1665, written by a citizen who continued all the while in London, never made public before. Episode 29 In a welcome respite from his catalogue of horrors, the author looks beyond the streets of London and considers the effect of the disease on trade and commerce, starting here with its impact on foreign trade. London in 1665 was the second most populous city in Europe after Paris, and English ships were part of a burgeoning international trade with Europe, certainly, but also with its colonies in the Americas. At the same time, England was involved in a series of wars with the Dutch that would result in continued Dutch naval supremacy. Naturally, the arrival of the plague in London did not help either the war effort or British foreign trade, as ships departing from London were not allowed to dock at most European ports. For a time, English ports along the coasts continued to prosper, but finally the arrival of the plague in those cities, accelerated by trade with the capital, shut them down as well. And, as related here, the Dutch and others fully capitalized on the situation to increase their economic advantage. It must not be forgot here to take some notice of the state of trade during the time of this common calamity, and this with respect to foreign trade as also to our home trade. As to foreign trade, there needs little to be said. The trading nations of Europe were all afraid of us. No port of France or Holland or Spain or Italy would admit our ships or correspond with us. Indeed, we stood on ill terms with the Dutch and were in a furious war with them. But though in a bad condition to fight abroad, who had such dreadful enemies to struggle with at home? Our merchants were, accordingly, at a full stop. Their ships could go nowhere that is to say, to no place abroad. Their manufactures and merchandise, that is to say, of our growth, would not be touched abroad. They were as much afraid of our goods as they were of our people. And indeed they had reason, for our woolen manufacturers are as retentive of infection as human bodies, and if packed up by persons infected, would receive the infection and be as dangerous to touch as a man that would be infected. And therefore, when any English vessel arrived in foreign countries, if they did take the goods on shore, they always caused the bales to be opened and aired in places appointed for that purpose. But from London they would not suffer them to come into port, much less to unlaid their goods, upon any terms whatsoever. And this strictness was especially used with them in Spain and Italy. In Turkey and the islands of the Arches, indeed, as they are called, as well those belonging to the Turks as to the Venetians, they were not so very rigid. In the first there was no obstruction at all, and four ships which were then in the river loading for Italy, that is, for Leghorn and Naples, being denied product, as they call it, went on to Turkey and were freely admitted to unlaid their cargo without any difficulty, only that when they arrived there, some of their cargo was not fit for sale in that country, and other parts of it being consigned to merchants at Leghorn, 
The captains of the ships had no right nor any orders to dispose of the goods, so that great inconveniences followed to the merchants. But this was nothing but what the necessity of affairs required, and the merchants at Leghorn and Naples, having notice given them, sent again from thence to take care of the effects which were particularly consigned to those ports, and to bring back in other ships, such as were improper for the markets at Smyrna and Skanderoon. The inconveniences in Spain and Portugal were still greater, for they would by no means suffer our ships, especially those from London, to come into any of their ports, much less to unlaid. There was a report that one of our ships, having by stealth delivered her cargo, among which was some bales of English cloth, cotton, kerseys, and such like goods, the Spaniards caused all the goods to be burned, and punished the men with death who were concerned in carrying them on shore. This, I believe, was in part true, though I do not affirm it, but it is not at all unlikely, seeing the danger was really very great, the infection being so violent in London. I heard likewise that the plague was carried into those countries by some of our ships, and particularly to the port of Faro in the kingdom of Algarve, belonging to the king of Portugal, and that several persons died of it there, but it was not confirmed. On the other hand, though the Spaniards and Portuguese were so shy of us, it is most certain that the plague, as has been said, keeping at first much at that end of the town next Westminster, the merchandising part of the town, such as the city and the waterside, was perfectly sound till at least the beginning of July, and the ships in the river till the beginning of August. For to the first of July there had died but seven within the whole city, and but sixty within the liberties. But one in all the parishes of Stepney, Aldgate, and Whitechapel, and but two in the eight parishes of Southwark. But it was the same thing abroad, for the bad news was gone over the whole world that the city of London was infected with the plague, and there was no inquiring into how the infection proceeded, or at which part of the town it was begun, or was reached to. Besides, after it began to spread, it increased so fast, and the bills grew so high all on a sudden, that it was to no purpose to lessen the report of it, or endeavor to make the people abroad think it was better than it was. The account which the weekly bills gave in was sufficient, and that there died two thousand to three or four thousand a week was sufficient to alarm the whole trading part of the world, and the following time, being so dreadful also in the very city itself, put the whole world, I say, upon their guard against it. You may be sure also that the report of these things lost nothing in the carriage. The plague was itself very terrible, and the distress of the people very great, as you may observe of what I have said. But the rumor was infinitely greater, and it must not be wondered that our friends abroad, as my brother's correspondents in particular were told there, namely in Portugal and Italy, where he chiefly traded, said that in London there died twenty thousand in a week, that the dead bodies lay unburied by heaps, that the living were not sufficient to bury the dead, or the sound to look after the sick, that all the kingdom was infected likewise, so that it was a universal malady such as was never heard of in those parts of the world, and they could hardly believe us when we gave them account of how things really were, and how there was not above one-tenth part of the people dead, that there was five hundred thousand left that lived all the time in the town, that now the people began to walk the streets again, and those who were fled to return. There was no miss of the usual throng of people in the street, 
except as every family might miss their relations and neighbors and the like. I say they could not believe these things, and if inquiry were now to be made in Naples or in other cities on the coast of Italy, they would tell you that there was a dreadful infection in London so many years ago, in which, as above, there died 20,000 in a week, and so forth, just as we have had it reported in London that there was a plague in the city of Naples in the year 1656, in which there died 20,000 people in a day, of which I have had very good satisfaction that it was utterly false. But these extravagant reports were very prejudicial to our trade, as well as unjust and injurious in themselves, for it was a long time after the plague was quite over before our trade could recover itself in those parts of the world, and the Flemings and Dutch, but especially the last, made very great advantages of it, having all the markets to themselves, and even buying our manufactures in several parts of England where the plague was not, and carrying them to Holland and Flanders, and from thence transporting them to Spain and to Italy as if they had been of their own making. But they were detected sometimes and punished, that is to say, their goods confiscated and ships also. For if it was true that our manufacturers as well as our people were infected, and that it was dangerous to touch or to open and receive the smell of them, then those people ran the hazard by that clandestine trade not only of carrying the contagion into their own country, but also of infecting the nations to whom they traded with those goods, which, considering how many lives might be lost in consequence of such an action, must be a trade that no men of conscience could suffer themselves to be concerned in. I do not take it upon me to say that any harm was done, I mean of that kind, by those people. But I doubt I need not make any such proviso in the case of our own country. For either by our people of London, or by the commerce which made their conversing with all sorts of people in every country, and of every considerable town necessary, I say, by this means the plague was first or last spread all over the kingdom, as well as in London, as in all the cities and great towns, especially in the trading manufacturing towns and seaports, so that, first or last, all the considerable places in England were visited more or less, and the kingdom of Ireland in some places, but not so universally. How it fared with the people in Scotland, I had no opportunity to inquire. It is to be observed that while the plague continued so violent in London, the outports, as they are called, enjoyed a very great trade, especially in the adjacent countries and to our own plantations. For example, the towns of Colchester, Yarmouth, and Hull, on that side of England, exported to Holland and Hamburg the manufacturers of the adjacent countries for several months after their trade with London was, as it were, entirely shut up. Likewise, the cities of Bristol and Exeter, with the port of Plymouth, had the like advantage to Spain, to the Canaries, to Guinea, and to the West Indies, and particularly to Ireland. But as the plague spread itself every way after it had been in London to such a degree as it was in August and September, so all or most of those cities and towns were infected first or last. And then trade was, as it were, under a general embargo, or at full stop, as I shall observe further when I speak of our home trade. One thing, however, must be observed, that as to ships coming in from abroad, as many, you may be sure, did, some who were out in all parts of the world a considerable while before, and some who, when they went out, knew nothing of an infection, or at least of one so terrible, 
These came up the river boldly and delivered their cargoes as they were obliged to do, except just in the two months of August and September, when the weight of the infection lying, as I may say, all below bridge, nobody durst appear in business for a while. But as this continued but for a few weeks, the homeward-bound ships, especially such whose cargoes were not liable to spoil, came to an anchor for a time short of the pool or freshwater part of the river, even as low as the river Medway, where several of them ran in, and others lay at the Nore and in the Hope below Gravesend, so that by the latter end of October there was a very great fleet of homeward-bound ships to come up, such as the like had not been known for many years.' 